0: Welcome to the ins and outs of selling a business featuring Keith D. A presentation of Osage Advisors. Welcome back everyone. This is David Yaz of the Boston Podcast Network. As usual here alongside the president of Osage Advisors, Keith D. And the topic on the table for today, the types of buyers for your business. So clearly when any seller is getting ready and considering all the prospects, which Keith guides you through of course, you want to know the different types of buyers. So tell me the way that you, in advising sellers, Keith, begin thinking about this process and the various types of buyers out there.
1: So Dave, good to see you again. And you. Uh, thanks for uh, hosting the show with me. Mm-hmm. We, It's important when you first talk to a potential client, understanding their goals and objectives is the seller motivation. And that's seller motivation is always determines the next steps, uh, whether they want to sell outright, whether they want to uh, recap the business or partner with someone and grow it, whether they want to stay on for a couple of years and retire, whether they want to retire right away, all these things fall into a category where it will direct you towards the type of buyers that will be excited, interested in uh, acquiring the company. Mm-hmm. And uh, so understanding that motivation, is key to the next steps. Sure. And that will be determining who are the best buyers for your business and who should I should be talking to. We typically take the position, no preconceived notions in who am I to judge. You go to market, uh, you talk to various types of buyers, both strategic, private equity. We'll get into those in a few minutes. Uh, maybe individuals, current management, family members, but you collectively look at the buyers together so you can make an informed decision that meets your golden objectives.
0: Before we get to the various types, Keith, tell me when you're advising clients, how often does it happen that a client might have a specific buyer in mind, or at least a a prototype of that? And through counseling them, you open their eyes to the fact that they may have neglected to think of a whole raft of type of buyers. Does that occur?
1: It occurs quite often. They, have a, they think that you know, one of the competitors is a great buyer for us, and right. uh, that, that's the company I'm going to sell to. And usually in that situation, the competitor knows you well, You know, probably interacted with you at various trade shows and conferences over the years, and they're looking at your business and they think they can get it for, for, for a price that's below market mm. because they think that you guys have a relationship and they're going to end up with a good deal. Good for them, but that's not the deal for you. So, talking uh, for us, talking to various types of buyers is that we want our clients to keep an open mind mm-hmm. because as they go through, it's just like one-time transaction. We've covered this a couple times in the last couple episodes, but it's a one-time transaction for almost all of our clients and most of the business owners out there. And by getting educated and informed of what what the market's saying and what kind of buyers out there is could change the direction you're thinking about because it may not, it may not been in their thought process when they thought about a buyer that this is an option.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So sure. you'd have all your options open and then you can make an informed decision to work for you and your family.
0: So the first category you, you mentioned earlier was the strategic buyers and how you analyze that when it's on the table.
1: So strategic buyers are what they are strategic. They're, they're related to your business. They're, they're, they're companies that uh, you compete with. There's companies that are in your industry, but maybe not in your market. There are companies that uh, are not in your market, but want to get into your market. But they see synergistically, you're a fit for their organization, and that you meet certain criteria as they're looking to grow their business. So, when evaluating a strategic buyer, it's important to, you know, understand. Why they want to buy your company? What's the fit? For example, we sold, and we talked about this in prior episode, we sold a company in the packaging space that the buyer was a strategic buyer from Germany in the same market. But they made packaging equipment for a different sector of the uh, of industry, uh, the market,
0: mm-hmm.
1: the, and they had no presence in the U.S., so they wanted to bulk it. They wanted to get into the United States. So they were a prime candidate. They were for our client to have a conversation with. They may put forth an offer. The offer was consistent with the, what we were looking for, along with the other offers we had on the table. But they really wanted a presence in the U.S. And our client's been around forever. And it made complete sense. And, and in turn, the technology that my client had can now be exported to Europe because they didn't deal in the certain industries, aspects of industries that, they, that my client did. So it's a win for both. And it allowed the chairman, CEO at the time, to retire what he wanted to do. And it allowed the other major shareholder to to stay on an employment agreement because he loved what he was doing. Mm-hmm. And with incentives and a, an employment agreement it made sense. other kind of strategic buyers are they want they just want to they they don't have a it's a regional type business they're strong on the west Coast but we have no presence on the East Coast. How am I going to get into the East Coast? So they're looking for and plus you're a fit mm-hmm. we, our product align our customers align, etc. so it makes sense. talking to various strategic buyers on behalf of our clients, we want to learn, you know, why are you interested in our client? What makes sense to you? And you can find a lot of that you can figure out, especially with public companies, even private companies. They make, you know, there's announcements. You can see they're, they've made three or four acquisitions They're looking to grow along those lines. You get a lot of information for strategic buyers through databases or even just searching uh, online through various sources, obviously with the public companies as well. So strategic buyers are a great fit. When you're looking to sell, at the ultimate goal an objective of the client is that they want to transition out over a short timeline. That window could be anywhere from one to three years with a company that aligns with their interests. Then a strategic buyer is a, a good potential acquirer for your company.
0: And I take it, you have an analysis where you take your clients through the, what could be a a litany of potential Strategic buyers, pros, cons, etc.
1: Yeah, so we we put together a very detailed, comprehensive list of of strategic buyers for our clients to look at and approve. And we'll we'll look mainland U.S., Canada, Europe. We'll go to we'll go to Asia on occasion, depending on the industry. But we may look at a thousand companies or more, and say, "Here's the list. Mm-hmm. You know, here's the companies we feel." have the capabilities for one to do a deal and two are of uh, strategic in nature within and around your industry that would probably have a high interest mm-hmm. in having a conversation.
0: So the category you, you mentioned earlier was the financial category of potential buyers. And we're talking about folks like uh, the work in the private equity shops or family offices tell me about that dynamic and how you open people's eyes to those types of potential buyers
1: private equity funds are institutional capital they're either funded committed funds which means that they're already they've raised a half million, half billion dollars or a billion dollars or 250 million dollars so they have the cash available to invest today and then there's other equity funds which they call fundless sponsors what mm-hmm. does that mean it means that they are an equity fund of uh, a group of management, but they have to go out and raise the capital through their network for each deal, mm-hmm. every deal. So you need to know the differential between the two, because it. if they have a, a committed fund, they have the access to capital and they could do a deal in a shorter timeline at the valuations that you've agreed to, and they can move forward. On a fundless sponsor, they have to go raise that capital. And that's not just a ca- It's a combination of maybe equity and debt. And clearly in today's market, debt markets are, are more difficult. But they may come back to you and say, look, they may come back at a lower valuation. Mm-hmm. They want you to contribute in a way uh, from a seller note perspective or something along those lines. Not all of them, but you need to know the differences. And you need to know you know what their history is. Mm-hmm. How many deals have they done? There's funds out there that have been around for years that have raised, this is their third fund. They've they've bought companies in their first fund. They bought companies in their second fund. And they're now in their third fund. And they have a track record. Mm-hmm. And you want to know about their track record. For so sure. that's one type of private equity fund. The other one, like we talked about, the fundless sponsor, there's a lot of great fundless sponsors out there. You go to their websites and they have four, five, six portfolio companies. So they have, they've made investments, they've had success and they are, gives you comfort and confidence that they can do a deal. There's other fundless sponsors that are out there that they have no companies on their website. They're just starting off Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and they're good people and they probably have access to capital and they're very strong. Is that the right type of buyer that you want to talk to right now, given where you are in your career? It may be right, Mm -hmm. but you need to know the difference so you can make an informed decision whether or not. Uh, that's the kind of buyer I want to partner with to grow the fund. Private equity funds as a whole, it depends also on whether they're looking at you at uh, the company as a platform investment, which means it's a new investment for the fund that they're going to go into this market and they want to grow it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Or is it an add-on? Which means what it would add, it's a bolt-on. They already have a platform investment in their portfolio and they see your company as a strategic fit to add on to that to grow it to the next level. Mm-hmm. So you need to know what they're thinking about.
0: If it is because- that if it is that scenario Keith does that allow the buyer to maybe think about a higher price since it's a strategic fit for the 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 buyer is that a case where it might be even more valuable than market value?
1: That could be the case. You you could they they are trying to, for example, you may have a platform investment. Say the company's got a million hundred million dollar company and doing uh, it's currently valued at a, a, a ten multiple, mm-hmm. and you're you're a twenty million dollar company and you're valued at a, a six multiple. So the day after they acquire you, also they accreted four times because mm-hmm. now they got you. They paid six and now it's worth ten. Mm-hmm. So they may pay a higher price, in negotiations because not only does it fit strategically with the growth. But they're going to they're going to increase the value of the overall portfolio as soon as they close the deal. That is one aspect to look at, as from a buyer perspective, and from a seller perspective. Do you want to be part of a portfolio company, add on to a bigger company? in this case it would be a strategic fit for a platform investment, roll equity to grow it with a combined management team that you that's a seasoned team in place that has a track record that you can help grow your investment with them. Or do you want to be a platform investment of a, a new holding for a company that may not be in the market? they like to the consumer goods market, but they really haven't made a lot of investments in that. they like the manufacturing sector, but they maybe haven't made a lot of investments in that. So you got to do your diligence. You got to really focus on what you're going to be to them. And is that a fit for you? Mm-hmm. Does that work for you? Same with the fundless sponsor. There's Again, there's a number of fundless sponsors out there that have good track records and have done great deals and have a, a history of a success. And then there's ones that are new. You've been in your business 20, 30, maybe 10, uh, maybe 40 years and someone approaches about acquiring it and but they have to go raise the money. Does that make sense to you? Is that the right type of buyer? You got to do due diligence on all these different kinds of buyers to make sure who's the best buyer for your business.
0: So at uh, the analysis inevitably involves factors of the seller thinking about what life is going to be like at their company once they let go it's not all about price and you and i have talked about this before right so i take it the process involves painting a picture of what the fate of the company will ultimately be when purchased by some of these private equity funds which on their surface you might not know you can see certain things but i guess you have availability to show the the potential seller all those factors that will lead up to what happens to the company in the future.
1: That's correct. So for example, if you're going to be a platform investment for a private equity fund, they're going to want you to be run it. They're going to want you to run the company day on day one. They don't have a management team in place. Mm. They're relying on you and your management team with their expertise and their balance sheet and their contacts and their ability to bolt on acquisitions to you to grow it. They call it the second bite of the apple. So if you roll 20, 30, 40% with the equity fund, the goal here is that you've taken some money off the table, you've diversified your portfolio, but you're rolling a significant amount of equity to build it to the next level. And so the if you're like a $50 million Platform company, the goal is to get it to 100 million mm. and then sell it. Mm-hmm. And so the thought process when you get it to that 100 million dollar value, that equity you rolled, whether it be 20, 30, 40%, or whatever the number is going to be, will be worth at least as much of more than the first. But is that something you want to do? Whereas you're an add on to a equity fund, they want you to stay, they want all management to stay, they want you to roll equity, but there's a transition plan. You say, look, I want to be in a couple, three years, but eventually I'm going to step aside. And there's, you, you can obviously negotiate all that buyout and, and, and terms and conditions within the stock purchase agreement, asset purchase agreement, but that's maybe a little bit of a different uh, feel to it because you're not the, the platform investment. You're not driving the deal. You're basically part of a larger team growing it collectively. So again, you got to make that decision. Mm-hmm. Those are important.
0: Are the dynamics different when it comes to family offices?
1: Yeah. So private equity typically has a holding period. They're using other people's money for the most part, maybe a little bit their own, but so they have to return investment returns to the investors. So they can have a holding period of uh, three to five years or so, and then they're going to sell because they have a requirement to sell to realize an in investment to return like the state pension, like CalPERS, California state pension funds, a big investor in private equity. A family office is what they call patient capital. For example, who are typical families, wealthy families that have set up shops that are going to do direct investment in companies. Again, they're going to look for management to stay on and grow it with their expertise, but they have no timeline. For example, let's say the Rockefellers, Mm -hmm. right? They have made multitude of investments quietly in private companies over the years. And there's no timeline. Mm -hmm. They'll stay for five years, 10 years, whatever. They want to just grow the portfolio and and get the returns, the dividends off that company long-term. So there's no holding period, which is a big factor to think about regarding the financial buyers.
0: So transition. Now I imagine it's a much different situation when you have uh, an individual buyer who might be interested in the company Tell me about that sort of analysis and how you help uh, walk the potential seller through it, perhaps identify individuals that they might not have ordinarily thought of and the like.
1: Honestly, an individual buyer is probably the on a scale of one to 10 is probably at the lower end uh, of somebody. And then those individual buyers can be just a person But there are all these things uh, they call now the new trade is uh, search funds, is a person who is has access to capital, not his own, but other people's uh, capital that support him or her, and they go out and identify a single business, and then they put forth a uh, letter to buy the business. And then if that letter is accepted or close to accepted, they're going to go back to their Capital sources and basically almost like a roadshow for a pri- for a public offering to raise the money to buy the company. Mm-hmm. That's one. That's a search fund, and they just want to buy one company. They want to run that company and take out the ownership over an initially and then transition the owner out based on a mutual agreeable timeline. An individual is someone that's looking to buy a business, and typically they're going to have to finance that, and they're going to look. They're going to look to the owner to help them. Mm-hmm. They're going to look to the bank. They're going to look to their own capital. What expertise they have in that industry, if any. Uh, but they're also going to look to the owner. Hey, will you take back some paper, seller note? Mm-hmm. So they tend to be better buyers for smaller companies. They don't tend to be buyers that can handle. Larger transactions because you know, one, the the debt markets are, are difficult now during the, the pandemic. Two, they're going to look to leverage the balance sheet and leverage and have the ownership of the company um, help finance them to buy it. Mm-hmm. So that type of buyer is with someone that you know we is someone that you would look at probably looking at smaller businesses versus companies with revenues five to twenty to fifty to hundred million dollars. They're there's a purpose, they, they're looking to buy companies, but you gotta be very careful about their ability to get a transaction done.
0: So that's where you come in due diligence and determining whether they are for real?
1: Yeah, from, from OSA's standpoint, we don't typically deal with a lot of individual buyers because the size of deals we work with are typically five million of revenues and up and a million of EBITDA and up. So <laughs> individuals, you gotta be, make sure they have the resources. And we ask, we've had cases where, okay, send us your, fill out this form or send us your brokerage statements that you have cash to do the deal. Mm -hmm. You don't want to be interacting and spending a lot of time with uh, buyers that that don't have the capacity and capabilities to get a deal done. Mm -hmm.
0: So there's another category that is, I imagine, poses different questions and challenges. And that is when there's a group within the current management of the existing company that may want to step forward and be buyers themselves. And now when it comes to that, I imagine, Keith, your client is the seller. Your client is not employees of the seller that might be deciding to put together some money to buy the place. But tell us about how that works.
1: Management buyouts, there's a couple of ways it can work. One is, and I don't want to get too much into this today because I'm not an expert in it, but they could do an ESOP, an employee stock ownership plan where the the owner supports that the employees buy the company. And he or she will then provide the capital, some capital to do that. And, and then and over time, they would the, the note would be paid off. And then the employees would be now own, owned by the employees. The other one is like a leverage buyout, management buyout, where a group of management may come to ownership, they will buy the company. And they may go out and partner with an equity fund. Mm-hmm. And we've been involved with a couple of transactions over the years where the management, older ownership, they want to sell the younger team in places would be with them for a period of time, wants to, run, wants to keep the business and run it. We would bring in a group of equity funds for them to talk to that would actually physically partner with the current management to buy out the owner.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's a viable way of looking at it. Sometimes it's not as clean as you would like it to be. Obviously, owners don't want their current management to know they're selling, they're not going to go this route, but right. you know, depending on the company, it may be a viable option.
0: So when, and when that occurs, tell me just a little bit more of the advice that you give, because as you say, it can be a delicate time when the interest in selling the company is not made public. Is this something you might suggest to a potential seller and then figure out a way to strategically make that information known to potential buyers within the company?
1: What we it, 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 the answer is it depends. Yep. So, in order, an owner he or she may, you know, when we're putting together the, the offering or the letter of intent, we may want to have in that some kind of employee stock ownership option plan. Mm-hmm. And it may be offered by the buyer, typically an equity fund. They're going to be a pool that they're going to set up that's going to allow for certain employees, certain critical key management to participate at some level with ownership in the business long-term. So that's one way that the, again, especially when there's a strong management team that's got you to where you are today, the new buyer knows that you were looking to retire, but they want to keep that current management team that you've developed over the years intact and working for them, that to give them some incentive on a stock plan um, is, uh, a great way of rewarding them for one and two of continuity moving forward. Mm
0: -hmm. All right. One of the final carries categories we want to touch upon before we depart is family members. And by that, I take it, we, you mean whether the buyer wants to sell to perhaps one of their children or a relative of some other sort. Tell us about when that comes up and, and what what occurs.
1: You know, typically the family members are obviously the sons and daughters of um, either the owner or the partners, and they. It becomes delicate because you want you don't want to just hundred percent finance the deal, right? So you want to be able to. Or maybe you do, because you could be gifting it through through your, through your a trust through a, over the years, but you want to take some money off the tables. How are you going to finance that the family members are going to finance? it. So you're going to go to you know, your kid and say, look, I'm willing to give you X amount in a company through a gift, but I need you to, and I had a situation like this, mm-hmm. but I need uh, $3 million uh, now because I just, your mother and I, or my, your father and I, We want to make sure we have that money on the side and and taking care of what we need uh, for our future. So that means the kids are going to have to go, the children or whoever are are going to have to go to the bank and borrow it Mm. or come up with another way. Mm. And uh, it could be the first time in their lives that they have, that they have to actually sign for the money, which means personally guarantee it. And, that uh, can be a uh, tricky situation. It could go smoothly or you could have a family and the house has to go on as, as collateral and the wife or the husband on the other side says, I'm not signing for this. And you get so into some a, tricky gotta,
0: family dynamics right there. It comes no, into the yeah.
1: dynamics of the family yeah. and it comes into that. Are, are they willing to do that? We had a situation last year where two years ago where that's what the deal on the table was. Was that, look, I'm going to give you half the company through, through a gift, but I need you to borrow $3 million or whatever the number I think it was $3 million to to pay me out. At the end of the day, they couldn't pull the trigger. So they ended up selling the company. We sold it to a, a strategic buyer that was um, a great fit, that met with our client's expectations, paid a, uh, the price they were looking for, a little above. And they, they ended up, you know, staying on through an employment agreement. And That's th- not uncommon.
0: Thanks to you, that family probably had a peaceful Thanksgiving rather than a potentially stressful
1: one. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is also, it's also another thing from the other side of the, the coin. They had to be able to sit down at Thanksgiving. And the other thing when you sell mm-hmm. to family members is, can you let go? Into the situation I just told you about, it was, I don't really want to sign, Is but also, I don't think my father's going to ever let go. If, if If I'm still running the business... And, and I'm still there, he won't be able to let this let the company go mm. and just say thank and then move on to the next stage of his life. He'll be calling in and he'll be showing up and he'll be want to know what's going on and he'll still have a vested interest in it and, and it may not be good for him or my mother's health. So there's a lot of dynamics that go into that regarding selling to family members. But by, by the way, I think statistically, and I'm, you know, don't. About 22 to 23 percent plus or minus first generation goes to second generation and mm-hmm. it drops down to the low teens for the third generation
0: mm.
1: for a multitude of reasons. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the family member acquisition of the founder's interest is there's a lot that goes with it to make that work correctly for all parties.
0: Sure. Fantastic information as usual, Keith. And thanks for enlightening our, our audience. As a reminder, let people know how they can best learn more about you and how to get in touch with you.
1: Thanks, Dave. Thanks, everybody, for listening today. Uh, the best way to reach us is through our website at osageadvisors.com. That's O S A G E, advisors with an S.com. Or you can feel free to call me anytime at 860 767 3273 extension 1001. Again, that phone number is 860-767-3273, extension 1001.
0: Thanks. And there's all kinds of ways to get in touch with Keith on his website, also at pod617.com. And please do drop us a line. Let us know what you thought about the show. And Keith may talk about some of the feedback in a, in a future episode. Thanks for listening to the ins and outs of selling a business. Reminder, subscribe to this show wherever you find your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other platform. And thanks so much for listening today.